welcome to Broken Potholes, the show exploring the fractures in our society, being brought upon us by our political masters, and this year, a disease that has shocked the nation. This is a special episode of Broken Potholes. We're going to be talking about the COVID crisis, and uh, hopefully coming up in here in a few minutes, we're going to have Dr. Kelly Victory, uh, who is an absolutely fantastic uh, voice on this issue she has piloted the hashtag facts, not fear, uh, which I think is maybe the most important thing for people, the, maybe the most important message for people to hear during the COVID crisis, because there's so much fear out there. I'm here with my co-host, Chuck Warren, our friend, Kylie Kipper. Chuck, from the start, there has been a real break between the reality of this disease, which is is bad, and the the news and the politicians who have been talking about it who are acting like this is the plague. Well, there just seems to be no common sense middle ground by people. You know, you have those on the right or some on the right, not all, but mm-hmm. you have some on the right just like, well, you know, I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. You're taking away my freedom. Well, there's freedom to be able to go to work. There's freedom keeping an economy open. There's a freedom to be able to go worship. Um, but for somehow that's taken away their freedom saying a mask probably helps slow it down to spread. And then you have on the left saying, if you get it, you're dead. You might as well just write your will right now. And they act like it. Yeah, they absolutely do. And and I mean, for instance, here in Phoenix, folks might not have noticed our mayor, when this first began, tweeted out that by midsummer, we were going to have a 747 worth of people, 800 people a day dying here. Now, it's been bad, but it hasn't been anywhere close what's to the, that. What's the actual number we're averaging in Arizona now? You know, for the year, it's well under 100. The height has been around 200 a day. So she's, for the average, she's off about six, 700 people a day. At but least. She, but she's, she's been guided by fear. Yeah, no, you could see it right from the very start. When this happened, first off, uh, she and her staff entirely went home. I mean, they abandoned City Hall for over a month, um, you know, which... I know we're talking about, you know, social distancing and remote working and all that kind of thing. But at some point, you're the captain of the ship. You have to lead that ship. And that means standing on the deck in the middle of the storm. And when you had the city manager and other top leaders from the city who were there and she wasn't, that's a pretty big statement. Absolutely. So we're just getting the notice from the booth here. We do have Dr. Kelly Victory online. Fantastic. I'm very much looking forward to having a more informed opinion on this subject than either you or I have, Chuck. Uh, Dr. Victory, uh, for those of you who don't know her, is a 15-year board-certified uh, physician, emergency specialist and trauma specialist, 15 years of clinical experience, uh, president of Victory Health. She has served as the CMO for Whole Health Management, and throughout this crisis, she has pioneered one of the most important things I think out there is she's put out the hashtag facts, not fear, and I think that's critically important as we we continue to deal with COVID going forward. Dr. Victory, are you on the line now? I am. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. You know, obviously, everyone has been talking about this for a year. But the fear that has been out there, that has been generated around COVID, has just been incredible. It's been beyond anything we've seen. And, and the reality is, is not that bad. It's bad, but it's dealable. It's handleable, isn't it? Yes, you're precisely right, Sam. And here's the situation. I 
spent many years, as you said, as a primary hospital-based trauma and emergency specialist. Over the years that I did that, I developed an interest in disaster management and really in what happens during times of mass casualty. And I made the transition to become uh, an expert in the medical management of mass casualty events. And as importantly, I became a student of disasters. I started to really look at disasters of all sorts, man-made disasters, natural disasters, pandemics, everything in between, and looked at what works and what doesn't work, as importantly, in a response in those types of situations. And one of the things I learned along the way in studying that, and with the help of many others who have become uh, students of disaster, is that our individual responses, how we perceive the situation and how we therefore react, manage ourselves, really profoundly impacts our way to get out of the situation with as little casualty as possible. And one of the biggest impacts in that is our level of fear. People do not make good decisions. They do not make thoughtful, Mm. uh, strategic decisions when they are operating out of a place of profound fear. And it's why fear is such a powerful, powerful intoxicant, why it allows people to manipulate us and manage us in ways we don't want to go. Fear can... I'm sorry to cut you. Fear can really be a weapon if if people are wielding it for for their own intent, right? Absolutely. And so, what I watched very quickly when I saw when the pandemic began, and I became aware of it the third week of January, so just just about a year ago today, uh, when I became aware of it, I was I watched very quickly something start to unfold on a national and global level that I found terrifying, and that was that people were not responding in the ways you would have expected because they were largely operating out of a pit, this deep, dark pit of fear. And so I decided I certainly am not a naysayer. I've never claimed that COVID-19 was a hoax, that that the virus isn't very real, that there certainly are people who can become profoundly ill from it and obviously die from it. But very quickly, I decided that we needed to bring a more measured, thoughtful approach to this and allow people to understand what is truly the risk. What are the risks? There's everything from exposure to potentially uh, falling ill to it to to any uh, adverse impact and really look at the facts and try to parse that out from what is just a fear, knee-jerk, sort of deer-in-the-headlights Uh, fight-or-flight response to this, which is not helpful to anyone. Dr. Victory, this is Chuck Warren. Um, My question is, why do you think we got to that point? I, I... You know, I've always, I've given people, especially the medical community, when you hear a lot of people say, well, they told us this last month, and now it's a new, a new directive. And my comments always been, well, they're learning as they go along. So, you know, we have to give them a break. If, you know, if they had all the answers to start, then we wouldn't have had a problem. But why do you think we have just become this basis of fear? There's a segment of our society, and a, journalism falls under it, it seems, that if you get COVID, you're dead. You might as well write your will, say goodbye to everybody, you're going to die. Why do you think we have come to that point? Because it's, it's been so dramatic, um, so emphatic, 
that it has turned off a lot of people. And then a lot of people, like you said, it has put them in such a rut of fear that they're just unable to function. And I think here's what has happened. And we could talk about the actual statistics and really what is factual and what is not with regard to true risk from this particular virus. And people have acted as if we have never faced uh, a viral pandemic in the past, which is preposterous because we have decades and decades of experience with these. But the real answer to your question, I believe, Chuck, is the 24-7 news cycle. It is the expediency with which you can get information to people. And that's terrific if what you are getting to them is actually factual, but it's absolutely treacherous if what you are able to get to them is instead in nonstop newsreel of data points and photographs and scary things, because it is so easy for people to react in the moment rather than with the way it was when I was growing up. You had to wait until the newspaper came in the morning, right. and you got news at exactly twice a day, 6 p.m. and then again at 11 p.m., mm-hmm. and you got sort of a, a factual result. Here's the data that we have from the day, and you got some numbers. Rather, right now, what we have is this ability not only for 24-7 moment-to-moment changes, but we have the ability for people who are uninformed, ill-informed, misinformed, all the Facebook people and the Twitter people and the Instagram people to get out there and start posting things that are highly incendiary, may or may not be based in fact at all. Frequently, we'll see things, I'll see a news feed on something or a piece of video footage, and I'll think, that isn't even in the United States. Right. You know, look at the sign on the wall. That's written in Russia. You know, that, 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 that's, you know, Cyrillic. That's not even, you know, uh, that's not even a U.S. news feed. They're showing a video clip that's supposedly from an emergency department in Los Angeles, and you're saying, well, then why is the writing on the wall in French? Uh, <laughs> and But people can post these things, and unfortunately... Fear sells. Fear, trauma, disaster, blood, gore, those things sell. And they sell newspapers. They sell everything. And it's, so the fear merchants, those people who are out there who have a way to make a name for themselves or to certainly commercialize something, to monetize something, have found a way to do it. And it's great to be able to have access to this kind of information in real time when it's correct, but there's far more harm that can be done when the information that's coming to people in real time is misinformed. Dr. Victory, this is Chuck Warren again. Um, your hashtag is um, facts over fear? Facts, not fear. Facts, facts, not, facts fear. not fear. Uh, two things. Can you ex- um, tell our listeners just some of the facts that they need to know about what's going on with COVID? And then second, if you could follow up as how much pushback have you received from the medical community for your fact-based conversations? Well, let me start with that one first, because I think it's critically important. Um, I did uh, launch the Facts Not Fear hashtag uh, very, very early on. It was in January um, when this first came to light. And what happened was I started getting personal inquiries from friends in the military and people around the country uh, who know that I've been very involved in public health for decades, saying, hey, what do you make of this? And I was picking up on an element of fear that I had never heard from these people. And so I decided to launch that hashtag and said, yes, call me anytime and I will keep you up to date with true. I'll give you the unvarnished truth. 
I'm not trying to put a happy spin on it. I'm simply saying let's not overreact. The reality with, uh, and as a result, I received tremendous pushback. I've been highly censored. There's been uh, every single video I put up, every uh, YouTube I put up has been taken down uh, over and over again. What happened that really launched things was in um, in May, I was asked uh, to make a video on behalf of a huge evangelical church in Texas, asked me to make a video for their congregation to help their folks feel safer going back to worship in person and sending their kids back to school yeah. when the time came to do that. So I, I apologize, it, Dr. Victory. We're gonna, I got to cut you off real quick. We're going to break. We're going to bring you right back on as soon as we're done here. Um, this is really critical stuff. I mean, especially the silencing of the media and, and of people who disagree. It's the new year and time for a new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from godaddy.com today. The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from godaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. In the studio with us today, Kylie Kipper. But on the phone, we have an amazing guest, Dr. Kelly Victory. Dr. Victory is a, has spent 15 years working in, in hospitals here, a very high-level doctor, very respected in her industry. I and mean, we were just talking about some of the kickback, the, the lashing that she and others have gotten since COVID started. Yeah, I, Dr. Victory, let's talk more about the pushback. Um, Sam and I, and I think we fall in your camp, are COVID's real. Um, COVID kills people, but there's a lot of people that get it who don't pass away. And it seems that, you know, with your hashtag facts, um, not fear, that we've seemed to forgot about this. And for some reason, there's a segment of society that really want to push the death is around the corner instead of providing facts that would help people, that would probably lessen the fear to a degree, and probably educate people more to be more observant outside. And what, are, what is, just if you could tell us more about the pushback you've received from um, journalists, um, from the medical community, and then also share some facts about COVID that people just probably don't recognize. Who's really at risk from this, and how are how is it really being transmitted? I I, I think that information, I don't think most people know the the truth. Sure. Well, well, the pushback, as I said, has been very very real. I uh, and others have been highly censored, uh, and because of uh, the the media platforms that we are using, typically it is very easy for someone to simply take down what I post. Uh, I received my initial uh, pushback from YouTube and, and an email that said that they were taking down my video that I made for that church uh, because, quote-unquote, these were their words, because I made statements that did not support the stance of the World Health Organization. 
Now, I, I, you should find that chilling in and of itself because the World Health Organization essentially is a strong arm of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, we had left the World Health Organization at the time that I made the video, so the idea that I would be censored because I made statements that simply didn't support them is important because the entire basis of scientific endeavor, the way that we have become one of the greatest medical and scientific communities on the planet, is because we have allowed free and open dialogue. And when you shut that down, it's a very scary thing indeed. With regard to the actual facts, let's look just at what the CDC says. That COVID-19, while it is, quote, novel, it's a new virus, it's something that we hadn't seen before, that doesn't mean we have no experience with it whatsoever. Novel viruses come along all the time. We have decades and decades of experience in how other respiratory viruses spread, and this one we could assume would be not significantly different, and in fact, it's not. We know the real people who are at risk from this. And those people are largely over the age of 75. To date, the median age still of people who have died from COVID is 76 years old. That's a fact, okay? So those are the people who are at highest risk. We also know that people with a very well-defined set of comorbidities, things, other medical problems, are at risk, namely obesity, diabetes, and heart disease and obviously anyone who has an already suppressed immune system. If you look at the CDC's numbers, the risk of dying from COVID, if you are under the age of 18, is essentially zero. The risk of dying is 0.003%. That's about as close to zero as you can get. And the people under 18 who have died, have had one of those existing comorbidities. Then look between 18 and 50. Your risk of dying from COVID if you are under the age of 50 is still 0.02%. It's well below your risk of dying from influenza. <laughs> then if you look between the, these are the, these are the CDC's numbers and people need to sit back and think about what these numbers mean. I have just told you that if you are under the age of 50, your risk of dying from COVID is well below your risk of succumbing to influenza on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. And between, you know, between 50 and 70, the risk rises slightly, but still to 0.5%, still a half a percent. And then it only goes up significantly, and it does, over the age of 70. When people are over the age of 70, your risk of succumbing to COVID, if you get it, is somewhere between 45 and 5%. And that is not insignificant. And that's why our approach should always have been to rally around and protect those people who are in those highest risk categories, namely over the age of 70, people in residential communities like nursing homes and assisted living facilities, and those people with underlying comorbidities. Dr. Victory, um, you hear a lot about um, long-term ramifications to people's health. Long COVID. Uh, long COVID. Um, how real is it? What are the? Are you worried about as a doctor? It is absolutely a very real entity. But let's be clear: 
this happens with a huge number of viruses, many viruses, including influenza, Epstein-Barr virus that results in mononucleosis. Uh, If you hear about many viruses have long-term, the potential for long-term effects in a small percentage of people. Generally, those impacts will resolve over time, but it is not uncommon at all for someone to have mononucleosis and then end up with residual fatigue for a period of, of many months. There are people who have influenza who end up with cardiac impacts that last for some months. So COVID-19 is not unique in that. Unfortunately, again, because of this pandemic, many people are being exposed to the fact that viruses are nasty things. They can cause some long-term effects. But don't be, uh, don't be fooled into thinking that COVID-19 is somehow unique in this. We have always faced this risk. And that's really where the rubber meets the road. We are faced every single year with an outbreak of influenza, for example. Yet we have never behaved in the way that we are behaving with COVID-19. Never before have we done this. We had a tremendous H1N1 outbreak in 2009. Every bit is contagious. Every bit is serious. Yet there were no lockdowns, no school closures, no limits on capacity in bars and restaurants, no mask mandates, no social distancing requirements, whatever the heck that is. We had SARS back in 2003 when I was the chief medical officer of Continental Airlines, and I was front and center on managing that pandemic. We did none of this. We had an enormous outbreak of influenza in in 1968, far more deadly. 1957, same thing. We have this If I can stop you for just a second, we have to go to break again in about 45 seconds. But I actually want to touch on the 68 comparison uh, when we come back, because we really did nothing at that time. There was really no special uh, precautions of any type taken. And and as you just pointed out, that virus appears to have actually been more deadly than COVID. Far more, far more. And that's what I'm asking people to look at is to say, let's look historically Let's not act as if this is our first rodeo with a viral pandemic, and let's be thoughtful in our approach. And I'll talk a little bit more from a public health perspective about really how we should be doing that. Fantastic. And we're looking forward to that right after the break. Thank you, Dr. Kelly Victory. It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from godaddy.com today. The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. I'm your host, Sam Stone. In the studio with me today, my friend and co-host, Chuck Warren, and on the line, Dr. Kelly Victory. Uh, Doctor, this has been, I think, a very important discussion as we're talking about COVID, 
What are the, we threw out, I think, every bit of the planned response to a virus. And the response that we've had has been draconian to an extreme into the point that it is actually hurting more than the virus itself. And could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And I think it's important for people to understand really the mandate of public health. If I put on my public health hat, it is very different than when you come into my office or into my trauma center as a patient. You are my singular concern. You and your well-being is all I am concerned about. When I put on my public health hat, I have to consider the ramifications and the repercussions of anything on not only you as an individual, but on the entire population. I don't have the luxury of simply focusing on an individual. And the public health response to COVID-19 has been disastrous because we have failed to really consider the impact of each of these mitigation schemes, whether it's lockdowns, school closures, mask mandates, to look at the impact of those things on the entire population and their health. And it's not only physical health, it's economic health, emotional health, spiritual health. So if you look, for example, at what has happened as a result of these draconian lockdowns and school closures, we've seen an escalation in suicides and depression and substance abuse that has heretofore never been witnessed in this country. We have seen economic devastation that will result, even if you look at the U.N. estimation, they are estimating that two that 213 million people, almost a quarter of a billion people, will die of starvation globally as a result of the lockdowns and disruption in food chains. And how the many, people, to compare that, how many have died of, of COVID to date, according to their figures? So Somewhere in the million, in the so, low million. So we're, we're talking so, about doing 200 times as much damage through our response as this virus. That is correct. If you look just in the United States at the number of people whose cancers will not have been diagnosed because mammograms, colonoscopies, skin cancer screenings were all canceled starting in February of last year. So when I see a patient now who gets a mammogram and has a breast lump diagnosed now in February this year, and that patient says to me, would it have been different if I'd picked it up last year in March when my mammogram was supposed to have happened? How can I look at that patient and say anything other than, yes, it would have been different? We are allowing people to delay treatment for cancer, for diabetes, for heart disease. On a weekly basis, we see patients coming into the ER saying they've been having chest pain for over a week. And when you ask them, why didn't you come in? Their answer invariably is, I was afraid I'd catch COVID. I didn't want to put more additional strain on the hospital. And so we are harming people. Children, and not only have their educations been delayed, but children are suffering immensely from the devastating impact of social isolation. For many children, school is the only place they get their one nutritious meal of the day. Yeah, th- and they've this been is... missing it for a year. This is something I want to explore with you in the future some more, Dr. Victory. If you're willing to come back on the program again, we'd love to have you. Uh, obviously, 
one hour program is not enough to talk about everything that we need to talk about around COVID and this disease and our response to it. But I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today and joining us for this discussion. And and from the start, because I have been following your uh, Twitter feed and your facts, not fear approach has really resonated and helped me. And it's something I've shared with others. So thank you, doctor. Thank you for having me. And I'd be delighted to come back anytime to talk again about this the true risks from this, how people can protect themselves and their loved ones, things that all of us can and should be doing simply to make sure that our own immune systems are at peak functioning, and how to actually work our way out of this mess in a thoughtful manner going forward. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Doctor. We really appreciate having you on the show. Anytime. Fantastic interview with Dr. Kelly Victory. Now we have our sunshine moment. Which will be on after this break, which everybody should be very excited about. Something we have been focused on is trying to put just a little bit of sunshine into these programs because I think it can be so much doom and gloom, especially with what you've been hearing, what you just heard from Dr. Victory. There's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of anger. It's nice once in a while to have a little bit of sunshine come in, isn't it? We'll be back. The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote domain from GoDaddy. Get yours now. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your host Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. It's time for our sunshine moment. And today we have a very special guest on the line. Very special. Annie Warren. No relation, right? No relation. Hello, Annie. How are you? Hi, Dad. Hi. <laughs> Annie, you've been volunteering at the State Farm um, Stadium doing the immunizations. And could you explain to folks what the process is and how it's going? first-hand experience this week to do an eight-hour shift at the state farm mass vaccination clinic that they are doing in arizona and basically what they do is they're utilizing about 100 um, general volunteers and about 40 clinical volunteers per eight-hour shift running this 24-hour shift Um, luckily i was lucky to get a spot as a general volunteer most of those are being filled by blue cross employees or their direct family members, but if they have a slot that they can't fill, they'll go to a general wait list that's around 3,000 people long right now. So I just happen to get a lucky slot on that. And basically what you do as a volunteer is you help get everyone through the system. So at State Farm, they have a really streamlined system right now for how they're vaccinating. Basically, you come in your car, you never leave your car, clearly directed to the parking lot where they immediately check you in, make sure you have an appointment, you have a barcode and identification number, they make sure all that matches. Once you're matched, you go through a system, and there's about 10, give or take, um, tents after that, after you get through the check-in process, and they have people at every single tent that are administering vaccines. And then once you get through that second tent, I mean, that second set of tents, there's a third set of tents 
and you sit there for about 15 minutes. You're monitored by a clinical person who's there who makes sure that you're not having any adverse reactions, that in, the injection site's clean. And then also at the same time, they have vol- general volunteers there who are registering you for your second dose of the vaccine. Once that 15-minute period is up, you are on your way home. From start to finish, it's taking roughly 30 minutes or less to get people through getting the vaccine. And how many people are they getting done a day? They're saying they're getting close to 4,000 or 5,000 people done every day just at that site. And how do people who come to get their vaccines, how are they acting? Are they being patient? Are they being thankful? What, what's been the general reaction you saw on your shift? I was told I was in the happy part of the vaccine clinic. Cause I was, <laughs> that's how it was defined. Like, you're going to love this. This is where everyone's happy because I was at the last set of tents, which is where you're registering people for their second dose, and then they're being monitored by a clinical volunteer. And honestly, it's just gratitude. There was no one there who was grumpy. Honestly, the funniest form of gratitude came from the old people who realized we were going to register them there. They were happy they didn't have to use the computer again. I was like, <laughs> oh, thank God. I second go. <laughs> Their biggest fear was not being able to get it because they couldn't figure out the computer again. So, I, I mean, I, honestly, I, just grab. And it was so funny. We had one person pull up, and he was driving his very elderly mom who was in the vaccine. He's like, I got a question for you today. And I was like, what's your question? He's like, I want to know, is my mom the oldest to get vaccine today? I was like, well, how old is she? And he goes, 95, and she was in the back fist pumping. Like, just <laughs> elated. <laughs> just thrilled. She's like, I've seen a lot in my lifetime. She's like, this is one of the weirdest. <laughs> I, I mean, if you've lived that long, you really have seen, oh, a, you've lot seen a lot in your life. You've huh? seen a lot, that's for sure. Well, Annie, thank you for coming on and telling us what's going on there. We appreciate it. You are welcome. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Sam, yeah. why don't you introduce our happy hour here? Well, that, that's a pretty big ray of sunshine that right there. That is a there. ray of sunshine. It's working well. What's funny about it is I was reading USA Today this morning, and they were talking about in San Francisco. What they do is they make you go park instead of having a volunteer there. If you feel like you're getting symptoms because of the shot, they make you honk your horn and flash your lights. That's how they come over and help you out. So they seem to be a little more organized here at State Farm um, Stadium. It sounds like they're doing a really brilliant job. And thank you to Annie and all the other volunteers who are going out there. Absolutely. Well, next, in studio with us, Kylie Kipper, Mackenzie Semerad. They are here and going to give us a little bit more fun for the program. What do you got, Kylie? All right. So as we all know, the Super Bowl is coming up this next weekend. And um, I found a very interesting story that people are talking about to help bring awareness and stop the fight and fight against global and um, sex and human trafficking. And it's kind of a dark subject for this this happy hour. But it's a very interesting story that I found um, that kind of does it in a more different and interesting way. So we have Airbnb that has partnered with um, different nonprofits to educate their hosts and, you know, how to deal with a situation in the event that that happens. What to look for and yeah. things like that. And Uber's done the same thing. So they're educating their drivers on, you know, in case the event of someone gets in their car and something's right. weird's going on. But Rafa International, which is formerly Rafa House, and they um, mainly deal with females who have been caught in the act of human trafficking. They've partnered with um, Athletes and Causes Foundation on Project GOAT, capital G-O-A-T. And what they're doing, that stands for Global Offensive Against Trafficking. And what they've done, it's an art-based campaign where um, they have 55 life-size goat statues. And these artists have painted these statues to represent the children that have been through Rafa International and um, to kind of tell their story. So I saw one online that was um, painted in a Yankee. So I can just imagine that they're a Yankees fan. So they have these goats, and they're offering them off 
auctioning them during Super Bowl weekend. And they're going to be hosted at the Tampa Bay Zoo. So you can go and see them in person if you're there. Or you can go online and you can bid through there. So it's just a different way. All the proceeds go to Rafa International. And it's just a different way of, you know, spreading well, awareness. I so. mean, look, we know, Bill, uh, we know that uh, Bob Kraft needs a new goat for his team. Right. So perhaps he can start with this one. It will be. Uh, it would be better than going back to the massage parlor. Yes, yes. It will be interesting to see because they're only allowing twenty five thousand people there. You know, if there's going to be the traffic in this that they've had in the past, and it's also going to be interesting to see um, if the Biden administration continues its laser like focus on this issue, like Trump did. Yeah, this, this is, is something, something Trump was. was it, Democrat Republican all agreed on him on this issue. He was he focused like a laser beam on it, and I mean. Was it in California this week? They found 11 teenage women who were yeah. being trafficked in California. I mean, this is 2021. Well, what the heck? Chuck, I, I can tell you with you know from my work with the city of Phoenix that if you end up with a young woman uh, under – I mean, essentially under young enough, under 40, 50, uh, who ends up on the street here, statistically they will be sex trafficked within 48 hours of ending up on the street. I mean, 48 hours. So that's why the homelessness crisis is so critical, and that's why these sex trafficking issues are so critical to try to address. And how does the city of Phoenix handle that when they arrest someone? I mean, knowing that stat, what 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 do they do? You know, we, we go out of our way not to put any sort of legal burden on the woman in question. Obviously, we don't want to get them in, involved in any way. You know, we try to protect them, get them into shelter, get them into programs. Uh, we are very aggressive prosecuting uh, the individuals who commit these crimes, who traffic these women. Uh, it's not all. It's not all women. Um, traffic a lot of children. Um, we are very aggressive. City of Phoenix has a standing task force on this and has devoted a lot of resources to it. And still, here, right in our own valley, 48 hours after a young woman ends up on the street, she's still at that risk. Despite all that focus, are there nonprofits in the city of Phoenix that specialize in when these women come in and help them get off the streets and help them get away from these? I mean, slavery, modern day slavery. Do they? What do they do? That's absolutely. There are a number of organizations here, and I would tell you, you know, look up on your phone Phoenix Cares. Uh, there is a hotline number there. They will connect you with the appropriate resource. They will send a van. They will come pick you up. They will take you to a shelter. If you find yourself in this position, there is a way out. It's just that a lot of folks don't know it's there and don't know that they will be protected. And we will make sure that the, the person that is victimizing them pays the price. Okay. Kylie, anything else you have to add after looking that up and finding this story? Well, I just thought it was very interesting that this this industry itself generates $150 billion. So the fact that these organizations are all working to raise money, like it's going to take a lot of money to battle that kind of influence that they have. I mean, I just, these women and men, girls and boys, I don't know how they recover mentally. It's a very hard road. I've talked to the experts in the industry about this. It's something that takes years and years. Uh, it's something that can become the type of lifelong trauma that leads to enormous additional harms and leads to them becoming a permanent fixture on the homelessness landscape and leads them to uh, long-term abusive relationships and possibly putting themselves in a position to be badly injured or killed. That happens all the time. The mental trauma stays with you. And again, we have resources to help. 
but but recovering from that, it's a long road, and and this is a really serious thing. You brought up the amount of money, Kylie, that that they make off this. Years ago, I had a good friend who was a was actually a CIA agent who who did a lot of work in South America on the drug trafficking issue, cocaine in the '80s, that sort of thing. Had all sorts of wild tales, but his big point was: look, the drug traffickers they get they, their profit margins a hundred to one. They spend one dollar producing cocaine in Colombia. They sell it on the street for a hundred. They can have seventy-five percent of their shipments intercepted, and it makes no difference to them. It's still one of the most profitable businesses on the planet. And this is the same with sex trafficking. It's one of the reasons it's so hard to stop. It's incredibly profitable, and the money to battle against it is almost non-existent. Well, it's amazing on the drug. Uh, sector and this human trafficking, if people just practice a little bit of responsibility and moral, moral fortitude, it would stop the demand well, and the supply would yeah, stop. You know, or, or take the uh, more libertarian approach uh, like Nevada, where you legalize and regulate it. Honestly, that is a less harmful scenario than what we have throughout most of the world and most of the country. Now, I understand a lot of people have significant qualms with that as well. But what we're doing right now isn't working. And when you hear about these programs, we need more of this and we need more cities and, and the, you know, obviously the Biden administration to follow through with what Donald Trump started because it, it's been a massive shift in how aggressively we've been going after. Well, also guys. in public awareness. Yes. I mean, I, you didn't hear people talking about this two years ago. No. I mean, no, just, absolutely. They just didn't talk. I mean, you heard the Super Bowl. You always had the Super Bowl articles. You know, they're putting these task force together and. You know, uh, you know, I don't know where they're meeting these people because hotel rooms are triple the price during a regular time. So I don't know how they're doing that. But, you know, that was always the only time you heard about it. The Super Bowl or some other major event were going to crack down. But now it seems to be part of the conversation. You see it on social media a lot from people you would never expect to see it. It's just a, it's an onerous evil that just absolutely needs to be wiped out. Yeah, no question at all. And and really, it is incredibly heartwarming. And yes, it is a ray of sunshine to hear about those programs uh, because you do need to really look at these types of problems directly in the eye. I mean, we can't avoid our issues that are affecting people the way these are anymore. Absolutely. Let's go back real quick here as our waning minutes um, about our guest today, Dr. Victory. Um, you and I and her were talking in between the break. I think one problem we have when you talk about facts is they could appear to be cold-hearted yeah right so yes 99.5 percent will survive covid 80 percent will never have major complications right Um, right but that does not in any way ease the pain of the families that have lost loved ones throughout the world or here in the united states um i have a neighbor um, lost her father, a good man, a good man. Mom had it, father had it, the father passed away. You know, the family is going to take years to just fight this back. And so um, we, those of us who really want to base this on facts because we mm-hmm. want to see this end and people get back to their lives, mm-hmm. we also have to be very cognizant and empathetic the fact that there are people who have died, and it's serious. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's, it goes back to the adage that one death is a tragedy and, and a thousand or a million is a statistic, right? Right. And, and it makes it very cold when you have these kinds of public health discussions. And, and that's always kind of been one of the feature of public health is that it is a sort of cold industry. You have to balance 
one, you know, X many lives over here versus Y over there. And, and whichever number is greater is who you try to protect. This is something that's going to be an ongoing conversation. I, I don't think people realize that even with the vaccine, this will not be over uh, anytime soon. We are still months, potentially years away. We'll from... still be talking about this next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, we will still be talking about it. So, And I am looking forward to bringing Dr. Victory back on for a future episode because I, I think a lot more people need to hear the message that she's she's spreading out there. Absolutely. Well, Sam, great show today. Absolutely. Kylie. Thank you for having me. Little Ray of Sunshine. And thank you to Annie, Annie Warren, for her Her Ray of Sunshine. Her special guest spot today. And we thank Mac for dropping by today. So everybody have a good week. Yes, thank you, Mac. Have everybody have a great week. Thanks now.